Welcome back, radio entrepreneurs, listeners, and fans. I'm producer Nathan Gobes, filling in for Jeffrey Davis this morning. Uh, excited to have Mark Furman of Tarlow Breed, Hart & Rogers, and Mark Z of Mark Z Legal Staffing hosting this interview for us today. Welcome, Marks. Great, great to be here, Nathan. Thank you. Great to be here and looking forward to hearing from my partner, Mike Radin, um, excellent uh, corporate lawyer, M&A lawyer. Yes, of course. Well, Mark, you've let the cat out of the bag on our next guest. Sorry. That's all right. Sorry. It's all right. Uh, our next guest, as you mentioned, uh, Michael Radin, partner at Tarlow Breed Hardin Rogers. Welcome, Mike. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning, Marks. Hey, Mike, great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, Thank uh, you. Mark Furman, I think I'll hand it over to you for uh, the first question, if you'd like. Sure. Uh, well, Mike, you're a corporate M&A lawyer, uh, why is there so much interest right now in owners selling their companies? So it's a great question, Mark. And, you know, I think there's probably four major issues going on here. The first is just demographics. The baby boomer generation is getting older. And as people age, they start uh, thinking about what do I want to do when I am not running the business? Uh, people might take a hard look internally to their family and determine whether or not uh, there's family members who want to and are capable of taking over the business. Uh, and if not, then what does that mean in terms of selling? Uh, number two, there's lots of investable cash out in the marketplace right now. This is in the hands of both strategic buyers and private equity firms. Each of those has different um, uh, pressures to deploy the capital uh, in different ways for their own growth or returns for their investors. Uh, the third reason right now is that debt is very inexpensive and it's very covenant light. Uh, banks wanna go out and lend money, interest rates are unbelievably low. Uh, we're getting a bit of a, uh, a surge in inflation which has been dormant for quite some time. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, but uh, when you have lots of equity and debt floating around, that tends to drive up demand, drive up prices. And that leads to the fourth issue, which is sort of built up demand, which is a combination of demographics, uh, the fact that the pandemic has kind of dragged on a bit. Uh, and then there's sort of a shift in targets in terms of what companies are in favor. Um, media companies, maybe if they're digital media, um, are still pretty hot. But things like supply chain and logistics, which were considered boring, are suddenly white hot. So those are sort of the four things I see in talking to clients who are either sellers or buyers as to what's driving demand. The other thing I'm finding, in, just in terms of um, my business, Mike, and, and you can obviously add in on, on this, is when you talk about the baby boomers, I think there are a lot of owners that wanted maybe a five to 10 year more window to stay in what they're doing. And now they're getting tapped on the shoulder or they've gone during this period of time and saying, you know what, maybe now is the time as opposed to waiting. Are you finding that, that you sort of like that five to 10 years that a lot of people put in terms of their timeline to sell a business are now, it's being ramped up now to the present because of what's been going on? So, Mark, I, I, good question. I was having uh, uh, closing dinners with two different clients um, 
neither of whom was doing a sale transaction. We were doing sort of a strategic investment for them or restructuring their debt. And each of them independently said that they are fielding four or five calls a week unsolicited from potential buyers. Uh, this is oftentimes driven by private equity firms that are trying to source deals or investment bankers putting books out on the street. So, um, yes, there are people who say, I didn't think that uh, I'd be ready to sell or I'd ever want to sell. Maybe five or 10 years, I think about it. Uh, depending on whether they're working with a wealth advisor, uh, they may have a plan in terms of how much cash they want to build up. So they were thinking five or 10 years out uh, in order to build a company to sufficient scale. Uh, but right now, the multiples can be insane if you have a good business. What I often think about when I hear that from clients is that, uh, are they being active or are they being reactive? Uh, if the market's coming to you because somebody might want to buy you, uh, that's obviously reactive. Are you going to get the, the, the highest and best value and the best terms from someone like that versus going to the market and actively positioning the company where you want it to be? including after doing cleanup that every company can use to, to be more attractive as a target. Interesting. Mike, uh, you know, you've represented uh, people who have bought and sold uh, numerous number of businesses, but you've also represented people who are uh, selling uh, their, their baby, their business, probably for the first and only time in their life. And with regard to uh, sellers who've never been through this before, what are some of the things they've learned and need to learn, um, you know, about this process? It's a good question, Mark. Uh, it, there's kind of two different buckets for that. And we try and talk with clients early in the process if they've involved us early. The first is that um, our clients often say to us after a closing that they did not appreciate how much time it takes to go through the process. And there is indeed a process to these transactions. Uh, the process will uh, start obviously with a letter of intent, which comes about because uh, hopefully you have multiple bids for the company and you can set out some basic terms, including you know, how much, how much is going to be held back and other things like that. But once you've signed a letter of intent with someone, there's a long process that comes that sort of breaks out into three different buckets. There's a financial piece up front where quality of earnings gets tested and looked at very carefully to see if the purchase price sort of makes sense and how robust are the seller's accounting systems and books. Um, secondly, uh, after the quality of earnings analysis per se is gonna be a deeper dive into accounting because that's gonna provide the due diligence phase and information for the buyer, where the buyer really starts kicking the tire and getting in the weeds to see how clean is this business? What kind of risks do they have relative to other targets I might be looking at? Is this really an attractive company? And then the third and final stage is the legal stage, which is documentation, which is uh, the last of sort of three stages. It's also the, the most detailed and the one where sellers uh, are already exhausted from the first two phases, phases of uh, financial and due diligence. And now you want to go in the guts of a document and a disclosure schedule where you're trying to shift risk to the buyer. It's exhausting. Um, you're running your company at the same time you have a completely separate job that takes at least as much time trying to sell it. So that's number one is sellers often say they just didn't appreciate how much time it takes. 
And the other thing that they tell us when we're sort of debriefing afterwards is um, make sure you know what you want to do after closing, because all of a sudden now, maybe you'll get six months, maybe you get a year with the buyer. Uh, it's pretty rare that someone's going to be able to just walk away the day after closing. But what do you want to do with yourself when you're done? Um, that's an important thing to think about. So I, you know, from the point of view of someone who handles business litigation, this legal documentation process that Mike is talking about is, um, you know, we're, we're not talking about boilerplate and we're talking about critically important things because the seller is going to have to make certain representations to the buyer. And I have spent uh, a good part of my career dealing with litigation that has arisen based uh, as a result of uh, transactions. Right now I'm defending uh, sellers who are accused of financial fraud uh, in connection with the sale of the business. There may be a employment or consulting agreement for the, buy, for the, uh, for the seller. And uh, the next thing you know is the buyer uh, throws them out of the company unceremoniously and doesn't pay them. <clears throat> you can have disputes about earnouts, promissory notes, all sorts of things. <clears throat> so if I could just throw in the work that Mike is doing to protect his uh, selling client is just really important. Uh, and I, I, I think that People who have bought and sold multiple businesses have a greater appreciation for the importance than perhaps, uh, you know, the first time seller. Well, you know, I'll I'll, I'm sorry. I, what I, was I was just gonna, absolutely true. What I, what I was just going to add, as both of you know, that my, this business that I'm in right now is my second employment business. And my first one were actually... Um, we sold about 20 years ago when I was partners with my, I had, I had partners with my father. Um, I can tell you that the work that Mike, as Mark said, that's important because you're right. You go in there with your, your, especially it was a great time for my father to get out. But for me, it was like, oh, you know, here's an opportunity with this public company. You know, they, they want me to come in for a certain period of time. And then all of a sudden you come in and the next thing you know, a recession, which is the Gulf War recession hit company. And all of a sudden the executives you're excited to work with are no longer with the company because it's all about the shareholder price. And you're like, okay, it's, a lot of things happen. So as, as Mark said, a lot of things happen and it's important to protect yourself. So it's, um, it's really great what you say, um, Mike, even though you might not want to think about it, that was something that got ingrained in my head by um, particularly my father. So it was, um, it was really helpful for me post that to say, okay, this may happen. And it did. Right. Mike, so, could, you speak, could you speak briefly about the importance of having a team you're selling a business or buying a business for that matter? Right. It's really important. And this is where uh, different types of, of clients um, really rely on us. And, and we, we have to have a discussion with someone who maybe hasn't done it before or has only done really small transactions <laughs> that you want to get your team together early. And this is 
both your internal and your external team. Um, the internal team is your critical support staff who uh, are going to help run the business through the closing and beyond that for the buyer. You wanna make sure that those folks are incentivized to stick around uh, for the buyer because what the buyer is buying is predictability, cash flow, return on their investment post-closing. And you don't wanna find out that your CFO or your COO or your head of sales uh, can just walk after closing and take with them uh, the sale, uh, uh, the, the revenue that the, the buyer was looking to get. Um, so the internal team is really important. And here it, it really needs to be documented uh, with a combination of uh, carrots and sticks. Uh, carrots being, look, if, uh, if, if, uh, if you stick around uh, after a transaction, then you'll get X dollars. Uh, if you stick around for six months after the closing, let's say you get uh, an additional slug of cash. So you've incentivized them to stick around through a transaction. Now, obviously, you have to determine who on your internal team is going to know about the deal. And a lot of sellers who've never done this before think they can do it themselves and not tell their team. That's probably one of the first illusions that people have to give up once this thing gets going. You simply can't not let your CFO know what's going on when, when spreadsheets and reports from all over the place are being requested. And your operations people, you start asking for copies of your critical customer contracts and find out that you know, it, it, it's, there is no contract with your customer, they can walk. Um, so that's the internal team. In terms of the external team, look, I'm you know, lawyers first. Uh, in, in, of course, I'm lawyer centric in part because you want to identify risks in your business, try to streamline processes and document them, including with your customers. Uh, next on your external team is a good investment banker who can help shop the company and tell you what you need to hear in terms of growth, margin, how to be thinking about positioning yourself, where to put your resources. Uh, third is gonna be a really good uh, uh, accountant who can do tax planning, clean up your financial statements, Get your, uh, uh, your turn on your receivables as low as possible. Stop financing your customers. Uh, get better debt terms. Fix your capital stack. And then lastly is your wealth advisor. Is Do you have somebody who has looked at different sales scenarios, what your tax obligations are going to be, how much you're going to net out of a sale, and is that enough for you to support you for the rest of your life for what you want to do? Great. Very important Great. stuff, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Obviously, this is a conversation that uh, we could talk about for hours because it's extremely important to business owners, uh, and we'll have to have you back on the show, Mike. But if uh, any business owner or entrepreneur out there listening or viewing wants to get in touch with you and, and find out more themselves, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, you can reach me by email. Uh, I am at Tartlow, Breedhart & Rogers, mraden at tbhr-law.com. Just mention that you heard me on this program and I'd be happy to respond. A phone call is always best, just a chance to open the dialogue. And uh, one of the things that's important is you wanna have a lawyer and part of your advisor team, not just tell you what they think you wanna hear, you want them to sort of tell it to you straight. Uh, they shouldn't waste your time or theirs. Great. I wanna thank you again for joining the show. Of course, that was Michael Radin, partner at Tyler Breed, Hardin Rogers. Thank you, everybody. Thank and of course, Mike. of course, also from Tarlow Breed, we've got Mark Furman. Uh, Mark, if people want to reach you. 
I can be reached at 617-218-2025. My email address is mfurman, F-U-R-M-A-N at tbhr-law.com. Great, and last but not least, Mark Z, Mark Z Legal Staffing. How can people reach you? Thanks, Nathan. First of all, I want to thank again, uh, Mike, um, for for some great suggestions and comments and Mark, great questions. Um, As far as myself, you can Google Mark Z, M-A-R-C in the letter Z, um, or markzlegal.com, M-A-R-C-Z-legal.com, and 617-338-1300. Great, thank you. And of course, both Marks are on our show regularly for segments uh, almost every single week. So you can find them on radioentrepreneurs.com, as well as YouTube, Spotify, LinkedIn, and a whole host of other sites that we stream on. I want to thank our listeners and fans last, of course, and we'll be back with another segment on Radio Entrepreneurs.